Welcome to Almost Here, Round the Corner of Future Technology podcast with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies poised to transform our lives for better or worse are the focus of this podcast. Almost Here means these technologies are now here and starting to be used or just around the corner from Bitcoin to artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with Future Tech Podcast. Almost here, round the corner technology. And today I've got a bit of a uh, Russian nesting doll type interview. So I'm at the studio of the Crypto Show, interviewing the Crypto Show about the Crypto Show. Whoa. <laughs> crypto, whoa. Yeah, so if that makes sense to you, that's uh, what we're going to be doing today. So I'm here with Danny something, 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 and uh, Chris Neanderthal. It's <laughs> something in. Ninadol, actually. Then, okay. I'll, I'll go by Neanderthal. All right. I have since elementary school, so. <laughs> yeah, so guys, first thing I want to ask you is, um, how did you start this show and why? Where did this come from? Well, um, really, Har- Harlan Dietrich, the founder of Brave New Books, started the crypto show. And, uh, you know, he was pretty into Bitcoin early on. He... Uh, I found out about Bitcoin in early 2011 through Harlan when people were still you know, mining with CPUs. I don't even know if graphics cards were even a, a thing at that point. And I had a chance to be in on this mining pool. Uh, this couple gave a presentation uh, for a friend of theirs uh, for a mining pool he was doing way back then. You know, you, you buy into it. He buys equipment for more uh, hardware. And then as, as he gets block rewards, he splits whatever your portion is. And I was skeptical, and I didn't get, get, did not get it on. I wish I had. Anyway, um, I think it was shortly thereafter that Harlan um, started to uh, put together the idea for the show. And I wasn't even involved at first for a while. Uh, Danny, who was it originally? It was you, Harlan, uh, Martin? Well, Martin, Harlan, and Ryan started And Ryan, out. of course, yeah. <clears throat> I was there at the meetup kind of throwing, helping them to throw around the ideas. And uh, the show started getting kind of stagnant. And uh, then I started bringing on guests. Yeah. And I think and, our first one was Jeff Berwick. So. And so when when did y'all, actually I could be a little off on my timing, but when did y'all have your first official episode? Uh, February um, 2014. It was just before, or 2013, just before the the first Bitcoin conference. Oh, uh, okay, so, that's yeah, right. It was right before then. Mm-hmm. Well, actually, so I'm a little off about the timing of when it started. But it's, I mean, three years old. Three so, years yeah. old. But that the whole point of that context is just to, to to say that that was the beginning of our consciousness of it over at Brave New Books. We started having meetups, and then uh, I got in. I think my first official time on the show was actually uh, interviewing Paul Snow of Factum and a couple other people at one of the Bitcoin meetups, uh, right previous to, or maybe concurrent with, uh, the first Texas Bitcoin conference back in uh, uh, 2014. Yeah, yeah. Tell me uh, about this, this presentation. It sounds like an Amway meeting. Did they, did they draw <laughs> circles and present a, a mining pool to you as an opportunity? Or you know, it's funny. Uh, in, You're describing Bit Club now, which don't go there. Oh. <laughs> you know, my memory is a bit hazy, but I remember it. It was this couple who used to hang out at a Brave New Books on occasion, and it was their friend who had uh, gotten into mining on his own and was trying to get people on board uh, uh, with a mining pool, essentially, like I was saying. 
and uh, they were educating you know most of the people there. I don't even think had ever heard of Bitcoin. Mm. It was still pretty new, still pretty early, and they were explaining roughly how it worked. I don't even think they knew had a deep understanding of it. Uh, I think it was just you know a digital currency, not double spendable, uh, public ledger, decentralized, right. just the sort of basic notions of it. And uh, I might have been aware of it just before that from Harlan, but again, only a very surface level, certainly no deeper than that, or maybe that was my first time uh, becoming aware of it. And it made sense to me on a sort of uh, economic level, if you will, from a practical standpoint. Uh, uh, you know, I've, I've been a hobbyist in economics in Austrian school, economics in particular for a long time, and for years before that. And I understood the value of it being a, a limited... Uh, amount of currency and, and and being slow to be mined and all that, but the technical side of it really eluded me and perplexed me, and I was skeptical of it for that reason because I was so ignorant of that side of it, I didn't know what to make of it. So anyway, uh, I forever regret not getting in on this mining pool because I probably could have benefited quite a bit uh, getting bitcoins back then uh, when it was you know like shooting fish in a barrel. So. Yeah. Yeah, and especially recently with the run-up, it's I mean it's approaching a thousand, so it's, who knows what's going to happen. Yeah, I mean, and, and that's the thing is, uh, you know, luckily I was smart enough to get on board uh, eventually with Bitcoin, and I, I was telling you off air, I do uh, put some of my savings when I can in Bitcoin over over time, the dollar cost average, and I'm not a I don't know how to play markets, I don't pretend to be a trader, so I don't try to time things. I just dollar cost average over time, and to me that's the the safest way for for probably most people to get involved if you have a long-term plan for hoarding Bitcoin. And you're right. I mean, uh, the price has uh, recovered from uh, crashing from 1200 to less than 200 and now it's approaching 1200 again, and this time with really solid fundamentals behind it uh, and then a, a lot of bad things in its past that it's uh, recovered from, you know, so. Yeah, I think Bitcoin and blockchain, the two concepts are diverging. Both are surviving really well on their own. And I think they're both shedding the, you know, the notorious past, you know, the Silk Road and being used for drugs and all that. Right, exactly. That's where I heard about it. <laughs> Actually, from Adam Kokesh, uh, watching his podcast. Really? The, yeah, during the Ron Paul campaigns in 2012. And, you know, I heard him. So I heard the word Bitcoin thrown around a lot, but I really didn't pay attention to it. Uh, and then I went to the National Convention, Republican National Convention. I was a delegate for Ron Paul. Oh, that's right. And there they were at the Paul Fest. Uh, you know, had the little Bitcoin stand. I guess it was BitPay that was actually sponsoring that. And I think it was maybe thirty bucks or something then. And uh, I just kind of laughed at it and like, yeah, no way. And, and then what? In 2013, I guess I went to Chile. And I met this kid, I don't know, 20-something years old, buying $35,000 worth of land with Bitcoin. And I'm like, really? How much is it worth now? And he said, two, 216 And I'm like, what? I was going to say, I remember. <laughs> it blew me away. So it, it had dropped from 30 yeah, to like I, I, a couple bucks. Yeah. That was such a great opportunity. Yeah, I went full it. retard on Bitcoin after that. So. <laughs> yeah, how many people do you run into have a story of, uh, uh, they probably won't tell you if they bought Bitcoin real early, but. You know, the one that got away, everyone seems to have a Bitcoin one that got away story, and who knows how many people are hoarding how many Bitcoins from years ago. I guarantee you that uh, even even outside, well, a lot of our guests, we if we've met them at all, um, 
you know, many we haven't met, we've only talked to on the phone, but if we met them, it was the first time on the show or maybe we had a convention. Uh, a lot of our friends, though, over the years have been on the show, too, just because of their own involvement and enthusiasm uh, in Bitcoin. And so all that to say, um, I know a lot of people uh, personally uh, here in Austin who got in pretty early. I don't want to say a lot. I know a, a handful who I, I know for a fact got in very early and are doing very well. I don't know exactly any numbers, but one guy in particular I know um, uh, is doing very well. And he advised a lot of people to get in, uh, and I wish I had listened to him sooner than I did. Uh, but uh, he was preaching it from early on, from when it was, you know, 30 bucks to 2 bucks, and then as it slowly went up to 100 200 and then, you know, beyond. So um, I will say that... Uh, for me personally, there were a lot of sort of, you know, ones that got away moments, uh, like with that mining pool I talked about. But when it ran up to 1200 in 2013 in the fall, I had actually gone to Mexico for about a month hmm. on vacation. And my plan right before leaving was to invest a, a decent amount of my savings into Bitcoin. And I was busy getting ready for the trip. And I thought, well, what's a month going to do? And literally within that month, it, I, I want to say it went up, uh, you know, from 200 to 1200, wow. and uh, I missed the boat on that. Although I will say that was also concurrent with the whole Mount Gox fiasco. For all I know, I might have bought and had my coin stuck there and lost out. So that's true. Maybe a blessing in disguise. I don't know. So yeah, and the Mount Gox price really wasn't the price. Yeah, you know, Mount Gox was the 1200 where. The other exchanges were down around eleven. Right, right. But either way, I mean, it was you know it was up there. So, well, tell me about some of the weird and crazy fringe characters you've talked to because this industry, if you can call it that, you know, it seems to attract those kind of people. Not that they're not good people, but you yeah. mean interesting ones, you know, people with personality. Yeah. Mm. Do you want to start, McAfee, Danny, or should McAfee? <laughs> yeah, John McAfee for sure. Yeah. Danny got to meet him. Uh, I've, yeah. we've, we've interviewed him, what, at least half a dozen times. And uh, he does have a really good sense of humor. Um, I brought him a jar of bath salts because he's notorious for, uh, there's this story that came about that uh, he was on bath salts down in, uh, not Costa Rica, but Belize. Oh, Belize, yeah. Uh, so I brought him some organic bath salts to the Libertarian Convention, and he gladly took them. You know? <laughs> he's like, he he pops off to me and says, uh, "So are we going to snort these or what?" And he didn't know. I already had a dollar bill rolled up, and I handed it to him. Yeah, let's go. <laughs> so he's like, "No, no, no! Come on, you can't do that. Yeah. You know, not even the poorest wino needs to do that. But, you know, that's ridiculous." <laughs> he said, uh, "You know, uh, bales of cocaine were washing up on my beach. Why do I need to do?" That's that's just ridiculous. <laughs> he always knows how to put it in perspective. Yeah, yeah. And hopefully he didn't eat anyone's face off either. Not, not that <laughs> no. I'm aware of. I don't. I don't even think the media is accusing him of that. So that's lucky. Yeah. No, but he's they haven't yet, have they? <laughs> no, but now that we've thrown it out there, maybe yeah. they will. Uh, but he's been great to interview. Uh, he's a brilliant guy. He surrounds himself with brilliant people like Ija, Eric J. Anderson of Demon Saw, uh, and others. And uh, you know. Uh, there's certain alleged things about his past I won't go into, but um, I don't know anything about that. I will say, if I were to go off of just 
my interaction with him, I would say that a lot of it is probably exaggerated or false, just because he seems like a man of, of integrity, honestly, in, in addition to being a smart guy. And uh, when we interviewed him while he was uh, briefly running for president in the Libertarian ticket, uh, he, you know, I didn't agree with him on everything, probably because I'm very, very libertarian, even compared to some libertarians out there, but um, he had a lot of principled uh, things to say, and uh, it's hard to believe that someone could be that principled and uh, not be a good guy. So I think uh, he's uh, a really good guy, very funny, uh, very smart, definitely one of the best people we've ever interviewed, and uh, I'd love to meet him at some point in person. Um, let's see, who, who else? Even if he does have strange fetishes, it's his money, so who cares? <laughs> you know, what, what, you know? You, what you want to do in the privacy of your own home? Is your business your own and, it's, uh, and it's all consenting adults that he's dealing with. No one was forced on anything. Yeah, he does everything by consensus, right? Yeah, <laughs> bad, bad joke, yeah. <laughs> that's good. That's good. I like that. That was funny. I don't know why I pointed to that. I don't know. I, like, we're so not on the clock. We have a clock on here for when we're on and air, and we're coming to commercial. And then whenever it goes to the screensaver, I always point to him to to take it off, mm-hmm. so I can see the clock. And I did that reflexively anyway. Yes. Um, <laughs> let me just think of a couple other people. Um, let me think. Uh, you know, uh, I really like the guys from Factum. We were talking about mm-hmm. Brian Deary dances with Bitcoin, Paul Snow. Uh, brilliant guys. They, you know, save us when we're tr- barely treading water with uh, the technical talk uh, f- for the particular topic uh, on any particular episode. Yeah. And uh, you know, they're they're funny guys. They're they're a little different. Yeah. Uh, in very good ways, and uh, what I like about both of them, actually, especially Paul, uh, real quick, Paul and I had a, I, not long after I interviewed him, um, I was sort of put into the situation um, at Brave New Books where, uh, I mean, I guess I don't think this is, basically, I was put into a, a situation where I had to ask Paul to leave, and I want no input. Don't, don't take any implications away from that about Paul. What it essentially was is there was a misunderstanding uh, between him and uh, uh, another person and maybe some other people. And uh, it, it's, I was sort of put into a situation where I had to basically, uh, for the piece of... Well, he worked there. You have to do it. Uh, yeah, I worked there. Yeah. Basically, I was forced to. I was forced to make a decision either to ask one person to leave or another to basically bring group peace. Hmm. And uh, in the moment I, 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 pl- I asked Paul to leave and he graciously did leave. And as it turns out in hindsight, unbeknownst to me when I found out more details, um, I, I regretted that decision because Paul, the whole time he had been there was a gentleman, gracious, civil. And I, and I, and I understood hmm. that right. uh, it, this is such a delicate topic. Uh, I probably shouldn't even brought it up. But was he, was he drinking a forty or what was? No, 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 no. <laughs> I mean, basically, there was just a misunderstanding between uh, him and another person there. He and, uh, he and the other guy didn't get along from the Bitcoin meetup. Uh, they were they were the two leads on the the meetup. And 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 just to give it one more little bit of context is, technically speaking, the uh, the meetup that was happening there was this other person's uh-huh. doing. So I was sort of obligated to exclude anyone that 
he deemed excludable because it was his event. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes sense. And I hated to do that. Anyway, Paul and I have since uh, joked about it many, many times on the show and mm-hmm. off air, and uh, I think he forgives me, but I wouldn't blame him if he didn't because I've expressed to him so many times how bad I feel because I was put into a very awkward situation and I did not want to make that decision, and I felt bad in the moment about making the decision. Uh, and it was it, I, I, my hand was forced, and right. uh, I've regretted it ever since. But anyway, so, so that that was an interesting little thing. But yeah. Um, but yeah, Paul and, and Brian and, and uh, David Johnston, in fact, I'm all those guys. Uh, they're really cool. And then, uh, without being too long on this topic, sorry. Uh, you already are. You I know. Have to throw you at him. Sorry. La- last one. Last one is. Uh, 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 Scrooge McCall coin, Daniel Krawitz. <laughs> I've known him for years, actually, um, and uh, he uh, he's always fun to have on. So check out some of his, his interviews. So. I think one of the early ones uh, we were not actually part of was pretty interesting. Uh, Cody Wilson, Mir Taki, Michael Goldstein, Justice Ranveer, you know, all of those guys were there. And oh, Andy, Andy Greenberg from Wired Magazine, they were all in studio. Uh, I filmed it, um, but it was Andy Greenberg was following around Cody Wilson in the Miritaki uh, right after Dark Wallet came out and when the Ghost Gunner came out, and it was this weird thing where they were kind of like a, a mirror was afraid or that he was going to get stopped or abducted or something, you know, from the police. <laughs> That's funny. <clears throat> and Andy Greenberg was following them. It was, you know, That's there's an article. Real. Yeah, so there's this article in Wired Magazine, and we're actually in, you know, mentioned in it then. That's but so it's cool. on YouTube. That was early on. It's one of yeah. the very first uh, videos. It's And if anything, if, if we had the following that we do now, not that it's huge, but that would have been a huge episode. Yeah, I mean, it was pretty. Like, you don't get that it was kind very of. In, yeah. Uh, you know, celebrity bigwig uh, Bitcoin punch in one room and one yeah, time. Peter Todd was in there. In there. Oh, well, that's yeah. right, Peter Todd. Yeah, 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 it was pretty cool. So we're, I mean, I wasn't part of that at that point, but I'm <clears throat> nonetheless we're proud that we were. Yeah, made that moment happen and recorded it. So for sure. Have, have you guys had a chance to interview anyone in law enforcement or the legislature or regulators and get their perspective on Bitcoin blockchain? Yeah, yeah, we've uh, interviewed a few. Mostly ex-law enforcement, who are now working on the opposite end to help protect people from law enforcement. Yeah, Barry Cooper. Um, now, <clears throat> sometimes these will relate <throat> to other topics, but um, still, a lot of it comes back yeah. to Bitcoin and blockchain. And we'll, we'll have people, a lot of people, on that work within legislature as well for uh, marijuana legalization, for medical marijuana, and things like that. Uh, one guy, uh, Kevin McKiernan. He does the medical genomic or medicinal genomics, where they take uh, medical marijuana and you know, I guess map the the DNA sequence and then log it onto the blockchain so that you can hmm. verify. Uh, you get good buds, or? yeah, so that you can verify that the medical marijuana is not a clone; that it's the actual one that you need for whatever your ailment is. So hmm. I mean, this is not for like. Recreational, it's for medicinal right, right. at this point. Yeah, that so. you're getting to the specific varietal that right. you're expecting. But we've had also, uh, what was the congressman, John? <clears throat> oh, yeah. Stockton? Uh, yeah. Stockman. Stockman. Steve Stockman. Steve Stockman, thank you. Yeah, we we had him on a couple of times. Uh, one time we, the time that we did have him on. Was during on the Skype. Texas Bitcoin conference. Yeah, in person right. during the Texas Bitcoin conference. And then again, a few weeks later, 
and we had to bump him for a, a much more important guest that uh, was way more interesting. It's uh, AC, uh, the kid that makes oh, yeah. the orange Bitcoin mugs. This is oh, eight-year-old yeah. kid. <laughs> so, you know, we asked his dad if he would come on, and uh, <clears throat> his dad says, yeah, but uh, we have to do it early because he has to go to bed. So we bumped the congressman back for for the, the kid to talk on wow. the radio. So. <laughs> Which it was, it was pretty interesting, and he yeah. he he went with it. Uh, the congressman didn't mind being bumped by an eight year old. That's cool. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, we've had we we, uh, we we definitely have had various uh, law enforcement or legislative types, congressmen or otherwise, who have been on to talk about, or even Paul Snow, for instance, uh, to bring him back. He was part of a congressional hearing before the United States Congress. I think it was last year, talking about blockchain and. Uh, uh, payment systems, and uh, that was pretty interesting when he came on the show and recapped that. So, right on. Yeah. So this this may be a hard question, but after doing this for a couple of years, how has your perspective changed on Bitcoin, blockchain? What do you guys see or know that other people don't know? How do you feel about it now versus when you first got into this? Uh, I'll say for myself, in a way, unchanged. And let me. This is going to sound like a kind of a weird answer, but let me. Make sure I uh, am, am not am not uh, ambiguous here. I was actually I saw the promise in Bitcoin early on, although again I was slow to act and I regret that. But I was also skeptical of it, um, and I know that sounds uh, a bit weird having this show. And I I own Bitcoin. I'm very pro Bitcoin. Part of the skepticism, of course, initially was ignorance. Like I didn't know. Uh, I still have so much ignorance about it, but uh, you know, back then I didn't know a lot of how it worked, and you know, out of enthusiasm and out of a lot of truth too. Don't get me wrong, you would have uh, Bitcoin advocates like uh, Andreessen Antonopoulos or, or Roger Ver or whoever um, extolling the virtues, the very real virtues of Bitcoin. Um, but sometimes, in in I think. Uh, uh, we've even had guests on more recently who have kind of agreed with me on this. I think some some of it early on was a bit too Pollyannish, too rose-colored about the uh, the strengths and the weak and the the relative strengths and the relative weaknesses of Bitcoin, where the strengths were maybe exaggerated and the weaknesses were understated, and that's that's going to happen with anything, right. right? And 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 obviously with things like the block size debate and all the stuff that's happened over the past year and a half. Um, and bumping up against the one megabyte limit and stuff. Um, that's just an example of where uh, that's still an issue needing to be resolved, and we've had many good debates and discussions on that from uh, experts on various sides of the issue. Um, but my point is that's an example where um, that was a potential limitation, obviously one that can be surmounted, but it, it requires you know action by various groups. Um, yeah, I think you gotta have to. You have to have people that are bullish on it. You have to have people that you know just see all the positive. Otherwise, it won't gain traction and it won't gain widespread adoption. So exactly. No, and, and so that was a good thing. And I'm, <laughs> Bans, I'm taking forever to basically say. Um, I mean, my I've, I've certainly gained a lot of knowledge on it and more nuance about various aspects of it, which is good. And but in essence, I've, I'm running to stand still, uh, as you uh, two says, where. I still have a roughly same balanced look on Bitcoin that I did. I'm very pro Bitcoin, very bullish on it, but cautiously because I see that some of my misgivings about it uh, out of ignorance 
continue to somewhat be misgivings now out of knowledge, from a, a, a standpoint of knowledge, but these aren't like special misgivings that other people aren't aware of. These are the ones that everyone talks about. Uh, and, and just because they're misgivings doesn't mean that I don't think the currency isn't viable into the future. It is. I mean, uh, I think there's way more going for it than not going for it. And it, it's, it would be very hard to take down something like Bitcoin. And as the recent price surge and the Bitcoin halving have shown, uh, it's, it's, weathered, it's weathered a lot of storms and it's still going strong. So yeah. anyway. Danny? What's your perspective? Um, my perspective on Bitcoin. Well, I mean, I, I got into it for political reasons, I guess. You know, I was a big Ron Paul supporter. And uh, being an activist and, and all that, uh, I feel like I wasted a lot of time even being involved in that. Uh, and then when I started getting into Bitcoin, uh, I would go out and sign people up to start accepting it at their businesses. I mean, like oh, cool. for one place, one thing uh, here... In the Austin area, I got a, a little grocery store to accept it. So uh, I was on Reddit as being the first guy in Texas to buy a six-pack of beer. Uh, <laughs> you know, and I would shop there all the time. And then, and then all uh, a lot of customers came in, and you know, just because uh, they were accepting Bitcoin, they, a lot of people would travel all the way out to Leander to buy whatever. Oh, nice. And uh, you know, I had several businesses like that, and you felt more like you actually accomplished something just by signing a business up than all of the time I wasted with politics. Hmm. You know, oh, yeah. You know, you're, this is a, something you can actually accomplish and get done. Um, it's a real concrete action. Right. It's real concrete right. change, yeah. I mean, even like, like now, and, and it's still happening, um, the tag Texas for Accountable Government is having their meetups now at uh, Mr. Tramp's right across the highway here. Uh, I talked to the owner, and he wants to start accepting Bitcoin there. So we'll have a bar and grill right across the street from where we're which at is now, great. which is, is pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, and Danny's been more successful at signing people up than I have. Yeah. I, I, and, and I have uh, tons of friends who are entrepreneurs mm-hmm. of one uh, stripe or another into varying degrees of success. And I constantly tell them, look, if you set up a Bitcoin wallet to receive payments, you know, either... A uh, personal wallet on your phone, uh, but you know maybe preferably for appearances, uh, one in your e-commerce store or something. Um, you can come on the show, and I will let you talk about your business to our audience. That's smart. Yeah. You know, as free advertising, and you because you accept Bitcoin. Mm. And none of my friends yet have taken me up on this, even though I will tell them you know that there's a community out there that will will patronize a business or give them publicity. Uh, just because they accept Bitcoin. And they and won't necessarily spend Bitcoin, but they'll come and shop with you just because you accept exactly. it. Exactly. And you can oh, lead really? a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. So, But I've I've tried. Danny's been a little more successful. but huh. Come in. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> Little quick uh, guest running. We'll talk to Bitcoin you. delivery. Yeah, there you, <laughs> there you go. Um, something I can't figure out. I don't know if anyone can figure it out. But when's the tipping point going to come? When do you think Bitcoin all of a sudden will start being accepted in all kinds of stores and in all kinds of places, and you know, regular folks will know about it and actually start using it? I think we're we're pretty much there. Um, yeah. I was watching something earlier that was on CNBC. One of the guys was talking about Bitcoin and how it's, you know, the rise of Bitcoin and 
it you know it was what a 15 minute interview yeah. <clears throat> or you know segment on on CNBC where the guys just talking all about the the economics of bitcoin and you know how it's uh, paralleled with the yuan and the yuan and all that so i mean it, it was pretty good yeah pretty good publicity i i think Danny's right to some extent although i also think he's right but it's an initial stage i think the stage you're kind of alluding to is a little bit further off, and it is a little harder to determine, but basically it, um, it there's a number of different factors that will uh, make that happen. You know, one is where India, they recently, uh, as everyone knows, there's huge Indian demand all of a sudden because the government got rid of these big uh, notes. Yeah, it was terrible. It was terrible, terrible. and even the, the replacement notes were falling apart so that literally people don't even have cash to spend. So all of a sudden people are going to Bitcoin. Um, I have family in, in uh, Argentina. When I was there two years ago, um, because of hi- hyper, or not hyperinflation, but near hyperinflation there, and uh, capital controls, a lot of people are resorting to Bitcoin now uh, to import stuff. Venezuela, I have a friend yeah. who... The search, the search for Bitcoin, the Google search for Bitcoin is up 415% wow, in, really? in Venezuela. That doesn't surprise me at all, yeah. So I think I so, heard um, yeah, Andreas Antonopoulos say that um, people in Venezuela were you know, secretly bringing miners across the border and using the country's... I think I heard that too. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 they are. Yeah, that's right. uh, and, to buy and, food. Mm-hmm. And the reason uh, the reason they're doing this is because uh, because of socialism, uh, the electricity is free in Venezuela, so they're they're mining in Venezuela with free electricity provided by the government. They're undoing socialism, so they're undermining the bank and the government, as we say, with <laughs> they're, Bitcoin. They're undermining and socialism they, using socialism. Yeah, yeah. that's one yeah. exactly for an evil purpose. You know, eating. Surviving. Yeah, I know, right? Yeah. No, it is, it is sad. I mean, they're not just mining for uh, long-term uh, price appreciation or diverse diversification. They're mining just to survive. It's very sad. Yeah. But that's the thing is basically you have between capital controls, uh, hyperinflationary events, uh, a lot of governments, what I think is, is clearly con- uh, in collaboration with each other, taking away large – basically trying to get rid of cash. I mean, they're, that that the fact that so many uh, countries just this past year have gotten rid of large banknotes all simultaneously—that's a coordinated effort. There's, no, I mean, there's really no denying that. And the point is, the governments have a, a a reason to get rid of cash and go digital. Of course, a different digital from Bitcoin, obviously, centralized digital, controlled digital, unlike Bitcoin, and that's the key difference. Um, so that the governments themselves are already accelerating that process by. Driving people out of cash, driving people into Bitcoin, driving people to find alternatives to get money out of a country or to import goods because they can't use their fiat, uh, you know, uh, fiat dollars or whatever. And then eventually, you know, hyperinflation. You know, there's the network effect that keeps something like the dollar being used or makes right. Bitcoin more common. Well, if there's ever a, a collapse in confidence in the dollar and maybe a hyperinflationary event, that network effect will quickly unwind. And I think the only way it can go, maybe some into gold and silver, but otherwise the only way it can really go is into Bitcoin. Yeah, I think it's ironic that governments may not like Bitcoin, may fear it, but uh, their behavior and their capital controls are going to drive more people into it. Yeah, <laughs> ironically, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And they, they just don't know any better, it seems, so...
Quick question. Um, in helping the adoption of Bitcoin into local businesses, do you guys know of a resource that would make it super simple for a business to accept Bitcoin and understand it enough where they can trust it to give it a try? Is there any uh, package solution that's really, really easy for the layperson? BitPay is the easiest <clears throat> because they don't have to actually get into Bitcoin. They can receive dollars. Okay. So if you're trying to convince a business to accept Bitcoin, you're... You know, no, you're not accepting Bitcoin. You're just using Bitcoin as a credit card. It's, it's just a payment service. You'll never even see the Bitcoin. You're going to receive dollars from this company hmm. that you know transfers it over. Well, I spoke to Abra, and um, they're setting up what they call tellers. Um, so everything will be based in Bitcoin, but mm -hmm. the person sending or receiving the money will experience it as their own fiat currency. Right. So they won't even see the how the sausage is made. You know. Right. Right. Yeah. And I think uh, I was looking it up because I couldn't remember. Shopify, I believe Shopify, the e-commerce platform, already has uh, a plug-in for you to accept uh, Bitcoin. And, I mean, I could be mistaken. I think it's a similar thing where you only see fiat, but you can accept Bitcoin. But either way, like, it's an easily, it's an option you can easily integrate into your, like, e-commerce uh, store. And then there's Bitcoin.com, too, uh, which we love. I mean, you go there. It, it'll teach you about Bitcoin. There's news. And uh, teach you how to set up a wallet in a in an, uh, a merchant wallet too, and then uh, uh, Airbits they have a merchant directory in mm -hmm. Paul Poy, yeah, yeah Paul Poy, ten thousand I think plus merchants. Uh, mm -hmm. You know between those things it's pretty easy. There's know. merchant services with Mycelium as well. Uh, uh, yeah, Mycelium sure. gear. Um, I guess once you get these people going on it and they're accepting fiat uh, and they kind of notice what the price change is of Bitcoin, they may decide to go ahead and just move directly into Bitcoin mm. and, and kick out the middleman, which which was would be great. Yeah, I think another way of proving that is with these Bitcoin credit cards or debit cards as well, because you can right. spend them anywhere. Uh, I like to go into a store or whatever, and I'll ask them, hey, do you accept Bitcoin? And they say no, and I'm like, oh, damn. And then I'll <laughs> buy a, a six-pack of beer or whatever with with my Bitcoin credit card and then tell them, well, you just did. So, yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Is that, um, I think Coinbase has a, um, like a yeah, a shift. Card. Yeah, the shift card. Any other ones? Which one do you use? WireX. I have a WireX card, a shift card, a wage can card. And what's your account number again? Um, I mean, uh, well, I can give you my account number. It won't do you any good, right? <laughs> <laughs> what's your private key again? <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah, maybe that's how it'll be adopted, that um, people will just see the fiat, mm -hmm. but again, they won't know what's going on behind. Surprise, you know, Bitcoin's what's really, you know, moving your money. Yeah, it's the mechanics underneath or whatever. Yeah. Or really, too, on top of everything else we just said, when people aren't converting uh, into fiat anymore, mm -hmm. or at least there's there's any kind of lag time where they're holding Bitcoin as cash, essentially, uh, and thinking in terms of Bitcoin for, like, uh, profit and loss mm -hmm. and accounting purposes... Even even if they do that only partially, that's when you know the game has changed where they're starting to think in terms of Bitcoin and not simply as how do I convert this into fiat? You know, or what is the fiat equivalent, you know what I mean? Yeah, you know, it becomes kinda of like a reserve currency itself. Yeah, it's a good way exactly. It's a good way to put it exactly. So All right. Yeah, the more people ask for it too when you go into the store and ask, Do you accept Bitcoin? Don't expect that they're going to say yes or that you're gonna get them signed up then and there. But hopefully, ten more people will ask the same question, and then they'll start to think. Yeah, the more people who do that, the more likely they are to change. And mm -hmm. it's happened with other things. I mean, the profit-seeking enterprises respond 
to customer demand. So, when you guys are just walking around going to the store, um, how often do you ask if they take Bitcoin, and how often are they like bewildered and don't I do I do it all the time. My my kids, if they're with me, or they're they're extremely embarrassed. They're like, oh my god, he's gonna ask it again. <laughs> <laughs> but I always do. I, mean, I don't do it enough, uh, Danny. I, I do it all the time. How often do, do they get a glazed look versus, oh, yeah, yeah, of course. Well, sometimes they don't know what I'm talking about, and they think it's a credit card, and they're like, sure. And I'm like, well, here's my phone, and they don't know. Mm. Or uh, they'll say, what's Bitcoin? <laughs> I know. <laughs> yeah. Apparently, I pronounce Bitcoin weird sometimes. I guess people tend to enunciate the T more than I do, because I've told people, uh, like about the show, and I'll, I'll preface it with, do you know about Bitcoin? They'll be like, no, and I'll explain it. Oh, you mean Bitcoin. Mm. So I think sometimes my bad enunciation skills <laughs> interfere with telling people, but um, I need to do. I need to be more active about telling people. Like, I, if anything, it's more friends of friends that I'll do it, where it's okay. a little more comfortable, and they're younger, so they're more likely to be aware of it, you know, millennial generation kind of thing. Right. Uh, or maybe with the servers and bartenders. I don't know why. Again, maybe it's a generational thing. But uh, I should do it more at, at other establishments. Yeah, when um, Google AdWords came out, Google Pay Per Click, people said Paper Clips. I said no, Pay Per Click. So the same thing happened to me. Yeah, <laughs> pretty embarrassing. That's funny. I guess it's well, it's one of those things. Chester drawers, Chester drawers, Paper right. Clip, Paper Click. Yeah, yeah. that's funny. <laughs> so what what do you guys see coming up for 2017 in the world of Bitcoin and blockchain? I know it's a very nebulous question, but you know, based on your omnipotence and all these interviews, what do you <laughs> see is coming? Hopefully, they'll solve this block problem, and uh, we can get the transaction times <laughs> back to what they should be. Yeah. Well, yeah. And, and I'm glad you brought that up because uh, when we were talking about where the turning point would be for Bitcoin, mm-hmm. all those things that Danny and I said that would would bring that about, I think, are true. But the that one limitation is. Uh, the block size limitation and then micropayments and the delay in in validation times because uh, and one thing that is cool we had on uh, who is the guy about um, segregated witness uh, the recent one uh, Eric Lombroso Lom- Eric Lombroso what was cool about if I remember segregated witness is it it kind of like what Dash does you know Dash has a validation time of two point five minutes but it has an instant authorization for like uh, point of sale, like small payments, uh, and segregated witness is supposed to add that, and I think that's good because yes, there's a flight into Bitcoin, but it's going to be limited to maybe just stores of value for the time being, even if there's financial chaos, because people can't necessarily transact with it right now for quick everyday small purchases. So that's going to be a limitation, I think, like, like Danny was saying going forward. Um, but for 2017, I think it's promising. Uh, governments keep destroying currency and and uh, reducing freedom, not just in general, but financial freedom, and making it, uh, all, just giving us every every more incentive to, to switch to Bitcoin and, and cryptocurrency. So, uh, you know... I, I, yeah, I don't I, see why, you know, they can't uh, just use Bitcoin and buy Dash or whatever you want. And do all your small purchases with that, and and use Bitcoin for you know internet your point. internet transactions and stuff like that. That's a very good point, and that's the thing. There's no you know 
for a long time people had this mindset that I think was a bit mistaken, and some people still do, that there's only room for one cryptocurrency, and I don't think that's necessarily true. So just like other currencies, you have competition, you have more than one currency existing yeah. at a time serving different needs. I think that's a great idea. We should only have one. Just like the Model T, you know, we, had to, we could still be driving that one car. <laughs> that's good. Exactly, though, right? Yeah. Who needs a Ferrari? And that's what competition does, and that's what choice does. It, it, yeah. it, it improves, uh, yeah. causes improvements, you know? Yeah. You know what? I, all the work I do with my truck, I have a roofing business. I should just get a Ferrari and do the work with that. <laughs> right? right? That would be kind of cool, though. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask you, too, the, the altcoins. Um, which ones do you think are going to have legs and really take off and be used uh, at a similar level to Bitcoin? It's like Dash and Monero and um, maybe Ethereum. I don't <laughs> kind of doubt it. It looks like it keeps dropping, and they've opened themselves up to more forks. So, yeah. I mean, we're not qualified to decide whether a fork is good or not, obviously. Right. The, but the, the, yeah, the, the Reddit trolls will... Cut our nuts I off know. or something. <laughs> we can't state any opinion or we'll get yeah. crucified. <laughs> what but about Zcash? Any other altcoin? Yeah, Zcash or Zcoin, which yeah. relies on the same. Um, Gary Lee, the, the creator of it, uh, relies on the uh, zero-knowledge cryptography, uh, same as Zcash. Um, they all have different features, so why, why can't people just use them for whatever features that they're strong in and not worry about which <laughs> one's better? Yeah, and even, I think it was Eric Lebrozo, and he might not have been the only one, but he essentially alluded to the fact, too, that um, to the extent that you can just layer features onto Bitcoin instead of a different cryptocurrency, like there's a point where it's too unwieldy or um, their opportunity cost was trying to lump in every single feature into one uh, crypto. So there, to me, that just indicates that there's room for other cryptos to specialize in certain things, and then yeah. Bitcoin can specialize in what it specializes in. You know what I'm saying? So, yeah. like, just that they're, they're I don't think, uh, I think there's always going to be a market for alternative altcoins. And, um, like Danny said, Dash, Monero, maybe. Even Factum, it does a certain thing. You, you know, it, it's for uh, verifying documents, it's, yeah. not for, it's not to be money. And they've already gotten grants um, and, and uh, AMP, contracts. And like AMP for Scenario, I guess it, it's supposed to be in Steam and all these other ones where they have a function on their network. Yeah. They do, they do certain things. That's what they're good for. They're not, they're not for buying coffee. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, that's, that's another question I have is um, I feel like if I get Bitcoin, I want to hoard it. I don't want to spend it because it may go up, and especially the recent price run-ups, it it kind of like engenders a hoarding mentality. Do you feel like that? Do you see that with people you know that have Bitcoin that they don't want to use it for just you know buying beer or simple transactions, but they want to hoard it? It's like a different behavior. Yeah, uh, that's what I want to do with it as yeah. well. That's what but, I've done. But I'm buying a little bit of beer to introduce somebody to it is is also a good idea. Yeah, yeah. The more people that want it, the more it's worth. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, I think hoarding is natural and. It's one of those things. There's a, a term for in it, in a, a term for it in economics, uh, historically with in reference to gold. I forget what it is, but um, let's go ahead and just admit that we're digital drug dealers. <laughs> there you go. Okay. Uh, well, cat's out of the bag. No, but um, where uh, demand, f unlike other things, demand for gold would go up as the price went up, 
and uh, that I think you see some of that with Bitcoin. You also see the reverse. Demand can go up when the price drops, and it's countervailing forces. And you know you can't just universally state what's going to happen and what's not. But I think it's interesting that if anything, um, uh, people see the price dropping as a buying opportunity, and the price going up as an affirmation that Bitcoin is succeeding. And I tend to agree with that. And um, and hoarding is a big part of that because hoarding is natural. Um, you know, it's kind of like Gresham's law uh, also applies where. Uh, bad money chases out good money. In other words, like people will hoard good money and spend the bad money. Uh, and same with Bitcoin. They're hoarding Bitcoin. They're spending dollars. Uh, and uh, that's what you're seeing. And, and hoarding is good. And the thing is, like, hoarding uh, provides a, an important function in an economy and, and getting a new currency like Bitcoin going. And uh, the, the, the beauty is, you know, People don't hoard forever because they eventually have to spend right. their proceeds, and eventually they see because not everyone's time horizon is infinite into the future. People still need to buy things or they have wants, and so as the Bitcoin price goes up, that can encourage people to sort of profit take, and maybe that doesn't mean converting back into fiat, but it means like buying a car or buying a TV or something. Mm. And so uh, anyway, the hoarding is definitely there. I think it's a good thing. And I think people should do it in the long term if they're concerned about retirement or long-term financial health. So, Yeah, I guess a nicer word for it is savings, which is what people used to have, not anymore. But, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, um, last question I have. This is kind of a weird one, but the fact that Bitcoin is divisible up to, I think, 100 million a Satoshi, do you think psychologically that means that Bitcoin will price itself at a level where it was as if you would use dollars to buy something. Like, um, you know, if you want to buy a six-pack of beer, let's say it's $10 in you know, regular U.S. dollars. But in Bitcoin, that could be like 0. .00013 Bitcoin. You, you mean in the market or whatever, so you, there would be a dual price on there, uh, like, uh, kind of like when you look at a magazine and it says $2 U.S. and $3 Canadian. Yeah, yeah, how do you feel psychologically when you see a price of something and it's, Point zero zero one three eight four Bitcoin. Do you think that's going to have any effect on how people use it, how things are priced, and the level that Bitcoin will go to? Because it'll just somehow anchor onto something that's familiar to people. Right. No, good question. I mean, I think Danny's right. Wow, that that's a low price. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Waiting for that one. Yeah. I have uh, to turn it back on. <laughs> Uh, you always leave it off too, like, and suddenly there's silence, and yeah. it's like, oh wait, I forgot to turn it on. <laughs> um, Danny's right. I think there's going to be an anchoring of some sort for a long time to give people uh, uh, a standard by which to measure Bitcoin. Because you're right, not just getting used to a new currency, but because it's unlike other currencies, instead of whole numbers and fractions, you have just like fractions behind a bunch of zeros. Yep. Um, so I think. Um, that's a good question. I think eventually what you could see is a, uh, a money substitute altcoin that whose only purpose is to serve maybe small transactions, but do so in a way that reflects traditional pricing in dollars or something. Like do you know what I'm saying? Like, like a tethering, basically, yeah. <laughs> right, yeah. Uh, something like that. Or uh, people also will get used to it. You know, historically... Um, in in times of, of in the brief periods of free markets in banking that have existed in Europe and the United States, 
price, uh, money supply stayed relatively constant and prices fell. So there's, you're going to have a whole generation that is used to prices rising and thinking in whole numbers. But eventually, uh, future generations, even though it'll still be kind of unnatural, mm-hmm. will just adjust to thinking in terms of 0.0023 Bitcoin. But I think tools will come along to uh, make that easy and find substitutes, like like we were saying. So yeah, they might have a proxy for it because you know you go to the grocery store. Oh look, uh, oranges are 0.00314 Bitcoin per pound. Uh, oh, okay, you know it's not exciting to. It's somehow just a weird feeling when you see pricing that way. Yeah, I mean. it just isn't natural, and like, and then it requires like multiplication theoretically in your head that most people aren't capable of. Yep. So well, I think it's like when you travel to another country and it's priced in their currency, and you're like, mm, well, what does yeah. that mean? Oh, <laughs> but even then, you're right, and that's hard. Fifteen hundred pesos—that's about three dollars. But see, and that's <laughs> no. hard enough. But then you know, you at least with that, it's whole numbers, and then you can. Even if it's like eighteen to one, just do fifteen, and so it's like okay, it's a little, little less than a hundred bucks. Yeah. So it, but it's going to be harder with fractions. But I think people will devise ways around it. Yeah. Uh, I can't think of anything off the top of my head other than that you're one. Gonna, you're going to think in whatever your native currency is anyway. So yeah, that's that's the terms you're going to think of. Yeah. But what if Bitcoin becomes your native currency? Then that's the terms you'll be thinking of. All right. There yeah. you go. Fair enough. And who? And uh, I don't know. Maybe. Um, Maybe there's something they could do on the protocol level to adjust it some. I don't know. I mean, your uh, wallet already tells you. You know, you you see a price in dollars, you type that price in, and it decides what your you know how much Bitcoin yeah. you're sending. So yeah, true. So we'll see. Uh, right. That's the beauty of if if the government doesn't com- become completely totalitarian, you'll just you'll have an app on your phone, and you can just scan those other prices, and it'll tell you that's how much Bitcoin it comes Yeah, <laughs> that's probably what'll do it, yeah. And honestly, and real yeah. quick, too, uh, one thing people will probably do is, at least for the time being, they'll think in uh, ratios of products. So they'll think, like, uh, you know, an orange costs point zero zero two three Bitcoin. Well, 20 oranges is a, I don't know, 20 oranges is a book. Do you know what I'm saying? And they might okay. start thinking in those ratios. Cause say, cause that's say the, um, uh, that's say your what average. they did with, with change tip. Like, uh, you know, what do you want to tip? Do you want to tip a beer? Do you want to tip a cup of coffee? And, and it would have these this different price scale. Like, if yeah. you wanted to tip someone two dollars and fifty cents, it was a beer. You know, oh yeah. If it was a dollar fifty or whatever, it was a cup of coffee. Yeah. yeah so, so you they, get they, used they to associating. Have these, have these little icons that kind of denote what the price is. Right. Rough amounts with certain products, and then you know maybe it, your average book is point two Bitcoin, uh, and so you know twenty oranges into point two. You know I don't know something like that. Well, you're right. I just realized there's satoshis, so maybe they'll make names for the other decimal place points of Bitcoin. That's know? a good point. That's, yeah, that's Maybe a really good point. Maybe somethings or Neanderthals. Or <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I like this guy. <laughs> I like it. Nice. Yeah, you never know. Or someone that's actually smart. Yeah, <laughs> look elsewhere. Yeah. Not this show. Deary's. <laughs> yeah, get, get the guys to fact them. They're smart. <laughs> well, right on, guys. I mean, that's uh, that's all I got for now. Any Anything you wanted to bring up we didn't talk about? No, uh, just thanks for letting me ramble. <laughs> not as precise or articulate as I usually am. Actually, that's not even true on its own. But uh, are you kidding? You were far. You I know. Were way better. But um, no, I mean, I guess the last thing is I want to make it clear. One, I love Paul Snow. <laughs> that was just a big misunderstanding, and uh, you know, it's in the past. But two, I'm very bullish on Bitcoin. But you know. 
I think, well, like, for instance, one last thing. Uh, Eric Lombroso, talking about Segregated Witness, brilliant guy, um, very nice guest, uh, very good at getting a lot in in a short amount of time. He basically, though, he talked about how a Segregated Witness could get around the, the block size limit, more or less, and it effectively increased the block size to four megabytes. But I asked him, well, what comes after that? Is then a, a hard fork necessary for raising the block um, the block size, and um, he gave an answer, but in a way, and I'm not saying this uh, in, in in any sort of pejorative way. In a way, his answer all answered it, but also didn't. In other words, it was it was not quite clear whether um, he didn't quite answer yes or no about will we need to up the block size eventually. Which, in other words, I think that uh, even really intelligent guys like him who are part of a really uh, cool thing like Segregated Witness, which is, sounds to me, for all I know at the moment, like a, a, an excellent solution for going forward for a, a while. Um, but once we reach the limit of, of, say, something like Segregated Witness, I think people still aren't answering the question of what do we do then. And it's not for any particular reason, good or bad. I think it's just... Um, he said this buys us time. It buys us time, and and he's right. But then the question is, what do you do when that time runs out? Right. And and I'm not expecting him or anyone else to know, but I feel that um, more people need to be looking at that also, not just the the next uh, the next limitation, but the one after that, if you will, or what can maybe be a permanent solution. Yeah, and it's like saying, I hope they have artificial organs by the time I'm X age, so I, you know. I don't die prematurely, or yeah. Well, maybe I'm expecting too much. I don't know, but uh, you know, um, just forward thinking, and there's plenty of that. Maybe I'm just uh, wanting too much. And who am I? Because I'm not a core developer. <laughs> uh, there are a lot of guys who know way more than I do, and uh, for me to have that kind of expectation, maybe I'm a, being presumptuous or getting the cart before the horse. Or, but um, nonetheless, I think it still needs to be said, and uh, there were probably people who would agree with that. You know, so. Mm. Last thing, um, can you guys give a quick short list of resources for people that want to know more about Bitcoin and blockchain and are just having trouble with all the technical stuff about it? Bitcoin.com, Crypto Compare, uh, <laughs> the Crypto Show.com. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, any of the Wikipedia pages on it, um, obviously. Um, now, let's talk Bitcoins. Adam, Adam and Andreas Antonopoulos do the the show there and you can kind of go through their archives and they've probably pretty much covered everything. Yeah. Their podcast is great. Mastering Bitcoin by Andreas Antonopoulos. It's free online, but you know, you're welcome to donate to him. Uh, and he does, you know, certainly deserves donations for all his hard work and you can buy the physical copy, which not only benefits him financially, but you know, I love, I still love physical copies of books. Yeah, me too. Uh, so mastering Bitcoin is definitely a good read and there's tons of other books out there too. Uh, so just got to do a little searching. All right, guys. So this is great. I, I really appreciate you doing this. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. You have been listening to Almost Here, Around the Corner Future Technology Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Subscribe to this podcast, both to review, to discover more future technologies that are poised to transform our lives for better or worse, such as Bitcoin, artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more. 